Hey, Dame. Yo. Do you happen to have any idea who this episode is brought to you by? Oh, I think I have a clue. I think I do. <laughs> this episode of Ergo is brought to you by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls, just a great podcast app for everyone. And if you know Ergo, we love independent and we love shit not being locked down. So <laughs> so go ahead and get Overcast for free on the App Store. This is the celebration. It's a celebration. It's a celebration. It's a celebration. Hey, hey. Hello. This is Ergo. It certainly is. I can confirm it. I'm Kiss. I am Damon. And we are continuing our celebration suite. That's right. We're making it about us still for a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah. We just hit our 300th episode last week. And so we're taking a few weeks to reflect a little on the show, connect with some of the people who are important to it and to us. On this episode, we kind of built like a Zoom equivalent of like the dinner party that I think I would love to have about Ergo. And and it worked pretty well on Zoom. We got some amazing people in the room talking to us together, sharing their thoughts and questions about the show. Dame, who did we uh who did we welcome in? It was really a treat and a gift. We had Tiffany Walden, co-founder from the tribe. We had Tanika Lewis Johnson, amazing artist, photographer, facilitator. We had Doma T. Pongo, the homie from the crib who's been doing his thing all over MTV and other places. Um, Lior Galil, the amazing music journalist who's been working with the reader and just really had his pulse to the culture. And our loved one, our, our like uncle, uh, un- Uncle Bill Ayers, amazing educator, movement builder, and podcast host. And so folks that, you know, we see as conversationalists, good question askers, media makers that are in the context of the work that we've been doing. And so just one, want to appreciate them and let them know that we see them as kindred spirits, but give the space to, you know, pry into us a little bit and be open and be transparent. And it was, it was an amazing time. And I'm really, really grateful for this conversation. Yeah, I felt so affirmed in all of the like intentions that we've set in our work off mic that like we don't always talk about publicly to have this group of people who we respect and have learned so much from like share back the things that they take away and have those be so in line with what we've been trying to do it like yeah deeply deeply affirming and so so grateful for their presence and them taking the time to celebrate with us i'm gonna go out on a limb and say it this one this is for the fans this is for the people that, <laughs> this is not for the casual Ergo listener, even though you're invited, but for folks who've been on this journey with us or who have found the the show and the archive recently and gone back and appreciate it, um, you know, having these thoughtful, loving, caring people uh, really got to some spaces that we don't get to like share all the time or don't really get to forefront. So coming out of talking to, you know, the big sister Eve and then talking to all our, all our cousins and extended family, this is really a great season and hope for those who have learned from the show, who appreciate the show, who, who follow it can, you know, feel a little bit more connected or more access to what our experience has been like and really, you know, a, a time to, to dig into you and our relationship. 
I'm just going to go out on a limb and say it. This one was for us. <laughs> We're on separate so limbs on the same tree. Everybody, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, a couple notes before we start. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be answering some of your questions that you may have for us, um, doing like a mailbag episode in a couple of weeks. So please, please, please send those our way. Contact at ergoradio.com. Uh, you can send it in text or if you're willing to record a little voice memo and send that, that would be awesome. As always, you know, subscribe, review, share your favorite episode with a friend or a new comrade. Anything else, Dame? Anything else you want folks to know? Yeah, for, for listeners that are, are space makers or, you know, creating some type of work or programming or institution or educators, whether that's outside or inside a school or university, feel free to bring us out. You know, we, we host, we facilitate workshops, conferences, concerts, events. Um, and so some of the, 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 the places where this conversation goes, uh, we've developed a lot of that in space with real people. And that's where we're able to go deeper into some of the more nuanced notions of human relationship in liberation movement and in creative space. Uh, so yeah, if you're in your movement space or in your learning space or in your creative space, anywhere on this green and blue and brown and partly on fire planet, uh, <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we would love to come to you. So, so hit us up. If you have a room that you want us in, go to ergoradio.com slash booking. There's a booking request form to fill out there, and we would be happy either virtually or in person to come your way. All right. With that, let's head into the party. It's waiting for us as we continue this celebration suite. Let's get it. All right, Daniel. We are here. We have grown up. We 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 have a little <laughs> little unofficial graduation where everybody's clapping across the stage. We're gonna take some time to reflect. This has been three hundred episodes. That's like fifty divided by six. It's like six years of talking to people, you know, at least once a week. And so we decided we don't want to keep asking questions. We want to be in conversation or maybe even get some questions thrown our way. So we reached out to some of the super homies. We we have quite the virtual room put here together with some of the most amazing people. And I'm just going to let y'all introduce yourselves. Y'all want to say, hey, check in where you at? Hey, <laughs> <laughs> this is Tonika Lewis Johnson, um, artist, uh, creative, and I am checking in live from Inglewood, my home office bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> the capital of Inglewood. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although don't say that now. Don't say okay, that. Okay, yeah, oh, never mind, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go next, man. What's up, y'all? It's Doma T. Pongo, uh, correspondent for MTV News, journalist, and I'm checking in from Brooklyn. I'll go next. I'm Tiffany Walden. I'm the co-founder, editor-in-chief of The Tribe. I am Zooming from the nail salon this morning back to my sister's house in Florida to try to get to my phone charger before it dies. So I'm yeah. running a race here, too. I love it. <laughs> uh, I'll go next. I'm I'm Lior Galil. I'm the music writer for the Chicago Reader. I'm up in Avondale. Hi, I'm Bill Ayers. I'm broadcasting from Hyde Park, Chicago. And I just, I've been dying to ask you two guys because I, I i drove 
to New York and back, and I listened to every episode. So I'm <laughs> fully versed. I'm versed. <laughs> I, I, I've been waiting for this moment to say, hey, guys, how's the world treating you? And how are you treating the world? Because I heard that about 200 times. <laughs> Let's get to it. <laughs> oh, go for <sighs> it, Dame. So for folks, you know, who are, are, are listening and didn't get the pre-conversation, I'm like in flux. So I just did a, a 290 to 94 and I was going 290 plus 90 plus 94 <laughs> miles per hour to, <laughs> to, to get home in time for this really important conversation. Uh, what comes to me is, is, is contradiction as kind of the, the fundamental... The, the brick and mortar of, of change and transformation uh, if we if we hold it and reconcile it. So, you know, in both relationships, how I'm being treated and how I, I feel I'm treating the world, I feel really grateful. I feel like the, the laws of abundance have like aligned in a lot of ways in my world, but also feel really overwhelmed and like dysfunctional and chaotic in a lot of ways. Uh, and then that informs, you know, how I treat the world. So trying to really, as I'm about to turn 30, like figure out a little bit more of how to like process guilt and shame and like accomplishment complexes and all of that, while at the same time feeling really proud and grounded in the fact that, you know, I know how to love people. I feel in the last two years, I've been both kind of like broken down to my essence, but also like really feel grounded in being my true self. And I've been trying to offer that to the planet, to the universe, to the people, to my city, to my block, and definitely to, you know, to my family and loved ones. So, so that's how, that's how me and the world are getting down. That's beautiful. Damon, what, what's an accomplishment complex? Man, one to be in Brooklyn on MTV, you know, like, <laughs> nah, I'm, I'm joking. but you know, the, the notion of like, you know, there are a lot of things relative to my ambitions, to my skills, to the relationships that I have that, you know, I I expect of myself, have expected of myself, things that I've fallen short of, like, you know, the realities of capacity have have hit me in certain ways. So just, in, you know, I'm taking steps artistically right now that I'm really excited about. So there's like a lot of like generation in that. But then there's also this like notion of like, man, I've I've been stagnant in some ways for the last, you know, eight to 10 years. And, th and there's a lot of opportunities that are, you know, kind of come in season that I respond to. And I think that we respond to here at Ergo. And I would, my sense of self or my ambition of self would be one that initiates those spaces and creates those opportunities as opposed to like waiting for the right person to hit us up and like, the right people hit us up a lot, you know, uh, uh, but but they're, they're just like further steps that I want to take. But at the same time, realizing that a lot of that's unhealthy. A lot of that is dehumanizing. Uh, like, I'm OK. And you're just I've turning 30. So right. find yourself of that. You know, yeah. 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 you yeah. wait yeah. to yeah. see yeah. what the 30 is. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm a pass to dare you, but the, but the truth is, and I want to just like, I don't know, be more transparent about this in the world. Like I'm kind of recovering from like very mild, like child star syndrome. And so like the, the twenties was difficult in, in that way, but like, I didn't get strung out. I just like smoked a lot of weed, but, um, and threw yourself fully into movement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what, what, <laughs> what I see, like, I don't know. Oh no, this feels bogus. But like when I see like Orlando Brown or something, it's like, man, brother, 
I get what you go through. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's like it's like it's not just a show. It's like, ooh, I, I, I feel that. I understand how like some nights could, you know. Turn, but he was extreme child star, so I was just like, smile. All right, kiss. How's how's you get up in there? Child role, <laughs> child role actor is a very different. Style. Um, how's the world treating me, Dame? You mentioned in that proud. I'm feeling really proud today of the work we've been doing. I don't jump to reflection that often. There's a lot of like forward momentum building that I'm always kind of running in. But, you know, obviously this creating some opportunity for reflection, but also just kind of feeling like I'm in that season a little bit. Uh, I've been just feeling really proud of the life I've built and the relationships I've built while at the same time, like holding the, I've been dealing with just some like body and back issues and trying to get healthy in different ways and get getting back to my 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 first love which is softball and just starting to feel the aches and pains of of life and I don't know trying to come to terms with like my body not being able to do things it could do before just all, all these like these moments of I know we like sound like the young kids talking about this and I, when Damon said <laughs> he's about to be 30 I watched like several people's eyebrows <laughs> go through the roof but th- <laughs> there is this feeling of like uh yeah, just temporariness and feeling really proud of what we've made and now trying to figure out where do we go from here is is kind of an exciting feeling as opposed to feeling like I'm constantly reacting and trying to like scramble to build something from scratch. I hear what you're saying about the body breaking down, but let me tell you when folks my age get together and we're planning an action or something, we we get to it but first we have what we call the organ recital to describe <laughs> what broke down what got replaced what doesn't work anymore and then we go forward <laughs> I, love the recital. I love that i love that so i think the idea here is just if y'all have questions for us things you want to throw away making sure everyone gets a chance to ask some if you have questions for each other also you know some of you know each other better than others but the floor is open. Curious what you're wondering about us. You know, Kiss, listening to these all together, I have one question, really. I have many, but I would love to hear the two of you talk about collaboration. Where does it start? How does it evolve? What did you learn from it? What did you dislike about it? You know, what was made it more difficult than if you were just doing your solo act? I think collaboration is what marks you guys and marks the show. So I'd be interested mm-hmm. in you talking a bit about that. To add on to what Bill um, asked, because I think it kind of relates to the question that I had, especially um, given my artistic practice, my interest in segregation and how in Chicago it really impacts our social network. So oftentimes ways in which we disrupt segregation appear in our relationships with people outside of our race or neighborhood. And so I was just curious, like, how did y'all meet? Like what? <laughs> How did y'all meet? That's a really good question. <laughs> How did y'all click? Like, give me that. Yeah, because yeah. you all embody the disruption of segregation and you Real have a time. shared passion. So start there, then go with the bills. For sure. Yeah, that kids would disrupt the segregation. Like, <laughs> wow. It also seems like y'all have been like best friends for like 20 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> I've lied to people. I know that's probably not the case. But I was like, oh no, they're like best friends from like, <laughs> And I'm like, oh. where would they have 
gone to school together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. That's so funny. Like you found your little, you know, social yeah. justice soulmate. And I'm uh, like, it's true. It's, it's true. true. <laughs> so you want, the, you want to get a next Yeah. So we can give you the, the background real quick. So we went to college together. No, nah, we um, want the long version. The long version. <laughs> I, I want right. to know what you thought when you saw him. Yeah. yeah. So we, we've told this a, a couple times. <laughs> but we can keep it funkier. <laughs> yeah. So we we met in college. We both went to college at a small school in Iowa together. I'm from the Bronx originally. Damon's obviously from from here. Uh, but we met there. We weren't super close in college. We worked together on a couple projects senior year at the radio station. Um, but like we're not best friends or, you know, we're kind of in circles that cross paths, but we're not super tight. And then when I moved here and Damon came back and, you know, I was doing some stuff around creative spaces and interviewing and trying to get into that here. And, uh, Dame could talk more about, uh, jumping into some of the work after Mike Brown's murder and going back and forth to Ferguson. We kept kind of crossing paths in those spaces and I wanted to get back on the radio. Uh, had the opportunity to do that through WHBK here. I'm telling, I know you said the long version. I'm telling you the short <laughs> version because we've told that we're, the last episode tells the long version a little bit more. Um, but so I pitched the show to Dame to come on as a co-host before it was anything. We built the format together, um, but we were not super best friends at that point. It really took like both the conversations on air, but just the time that we spent together around the show. So the like, two hours before the three hours after the planning, you know, the, the kind of the rhythms of our lives syncing up for us to really develop those relationships. Like I can't tell you how many hours we spent not on microphone talking to each other from 2015 to, I mean, really until pandemic, like on a weekly basis, just 10 to 12 hours just in conversation together and like really getting to know each other. And that's how we built the trust and the relationship. But, you know, we started working together before we were close like this and it was the work that brought us together. Yeah. I, I think, you know, it's a story of like respect. Uh, I think the, I'm gonna give y'all a little bit of the funky version, but like, I think the, 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 the true essence of the answer is to Daniel's point, like we didn't have in the way it seems this like emergent, like, you know, stepbrothers, like, do we just become best friends now? Yep. Like, <laughs> we have more room to do activities. Like, that That, that wasn't just off Though the jump. we have done but... a lot of activities. <laughs> so I, I think there was a, a mutual respect, but then I think there was this other la- layer of I really respected the way that he worked um, and the way that he, like, showed up to his passions and then also really appreciated the respect he had for my cultural context. So while we were in, you know, Grinnell, Iowa, you know, I I felt isolated and alienated, right? And so at this time, like, No Name and Sab and Mick Jenkins aren't household names, right? Like, these are people that I I know and, and see. And there was just like this surreal, disorienting feeling of like coming home on weekends, being home from the summer, and then being out in this cornfield and like trying to look at home. And, like, the world doesn't get, like, I'm like, yo, there's some, like, historic shit happening that I'm missing. And there was really only, like, one to two other people that had a real respect for that space. And so that's where a lot of our collaborations came from. The truth is, and we told this story a little bit to Eve, we met in an African-American lit class. And Daniel's, as it has, you know, 
shown true in our relationship as a better student than I am. But I wasn't finna like go. You know what I'm saying? Like I had uh, I had a real respect for this black woman feminist teacher that was like showing us Biggie lyrics and how to like do scan poetry. I'm like, oh man, I found the class of my dreams. And the truth is, is like I'm not finna let this white boy <laughs> with his, with his prepared underlying quotes just take over and dominate this class. Cause like if we let him, he will. Like Daniel is a talker and like <laughs> you know, has has grown in like his positionality awareness, but like he didn't care. Like, you know, he was like, Man, I read Beloved, y'all are bullshitting. Here is the metaphor right here. You know what I'm saying? And so it became like this thing of like, all right between professor benjamin and this dude over here like i gotta read these books and like not just come prepared to like say something smart in response so that was like the first like where it was i'm like man this dude is a lot (laughs) but then he like started you know we had a lot of like hip-hop connections um but then to kind of to to bill's question or a part of the question of like collaboration for me it, it again goes back to like contradiction personally of I have some anxiety or some some functionality around like dependency, right? And so like that that is something that I struggle with. But at the same time, all of the best things that I've done in the world have been through collaborative relationships and by like willingness and like desire and like appreciation of that space. And so to your question, like this would not be possible if it was like, oh, I want to just talk to activists and artists and, you know, do like the, cons- the, the structure, the, the consistency, the, 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 the texture, the, the dynamics wouldn't be the same. Uh, it has, however, Bill, like put us in a place now where we want to, from our collaboration and partnership, create like sub projects that are a little bit more like personally placed. Um, but it's really been... I even sometimes struggle with this language, but like I'll say, like it's even really been a blessing in my life. Like you know, Daniel, I got a joke is like a partner, like beyond just like a work partner. Like I think he's like a life partner in really ways. And sometimes we we only talk about that like sexual romantic situations, but this is just just you know one of my people that really holds me down in some of the greatest ways. And then I'll kind of end with this to your point, Tanika, of like you know, coming from different spaces, different backgrounds, black and white people in Chicago don't really like link up like that. As I've been in a, you know, deeply connect to a black radical movement that is responding to a lot of trauma, is processing a lot of internalized trauma, and then sometimes like lashes out on itself and the the people with each other, it has actually been really important, really healing and really grounding to have someone who understands the context, knows the landscape, knows the people, knows the values and principles, but like, it's not in it, in it, you know, (laughs) like to be able to like have some reprieve to be able to like, man, you can't say this, but these people is tweaking right now. (laughs) It'd be like, like, Hey, you know, you might be right. Like, it's okay. Like, and like, um, you know, to be vulnerable or transparent as we've started this show, um, my, my relationship to black men has been fractured in a lot of ways around accountability, harm, the way we show up, a lot of my like intimate personal relationships and just like also just my like purview of the landscape of black masculinity. There's some there's some personal crisis there as trying to like stand up to misogynoir and patriarchy with people who are aligned and still fall short of that. And so that's been really exhausting. And so to have like 
another masculine person in the world that's removed from that reality to help me process that has been really important. Is there a moment when you knew that this this would actually become something that you could do consistently? Because, I mean, we celebrating this because a lot of people start podcasts. A lot of people don't get to 300 episodes. Uh-huh. <laughs> a lot of people don't get to one episode. Uh-huh. Exactly. I got a couple of podcasts under my belt. You know, a couple of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so like, like, was there a point at which you knew, okay, I could do this in perpetuity? You know what I mean? Because yeah. that that consistency in large part is what we're celebrating with y'all, man. That's a great I, question. I, I'm loving the compound question thing. I heard Tiff was about to jump in there, even if it's not related. It's related because my thing, even like to add on to Domati's question, it's more so like, like, do you feel that y'all's partnership helps you sustain this uh, like show that throughout time too? Because starting something alone is one thing compared to starting it with like a friend or starting it with um, you know, someone that you know and trust. At least that's that's my story, and that's why I resonate so much with what you said, Damon. So, just kind of adding on to Domati's question, like how much did like your partnership play into the sustainability of the show? Yeah, I think it goes in some ways actually to the word dependency, Dame, that you said earlier. <laughs> like for the first, you know, so for the first couple years of the show, we did it live on the radio on WHBK, and then we would podcast it after that, and the the expectation that you know it wasn't really externally imposed but that we created was that like no matter what else was happening every thursday at noon we had to be up there with a different guest and so that kind of like structure one helped us keep the show going but also you know through 23 to 26 years old or whatever like we both were floating in a lot of ways through instability in our lives and you know there were stretches in there where there was nothing I had to do that had me grounded in Chicago other than being there Thursday at noon. Like my life was scattered. It included all these different components in different places. I didn't really have that grounding except for the show. Like one, it helped us keep the show going, but the show like helped at least me. And I even know we've talked about this a little bit. Like it created this anchor in our lives that we knew we had, you know, every week this thing to make, but also this time with each other. And so I think that served us in a lot of ways. And then because it's so loose in what we do and it's a, we've let it evolve and it's emerged in different forms, like it doesn't feel in some ways like we're doing the same show in perpetuity. Um, mm. Like what we do is really different now. It's grounded in a lot of the same values and practices, but like what we do on a weekly basis is different. And this isn't just like something we do Thursdays. Like this has become, at least for me and in many ways for Dan too, like my whole life, my whole professional life is this show in ways that I didn't expect I wanted, but I didn't expect I would ever be able to have. I was like, there are all these other things that I do to pay my rent and then I get to have this fun on Thursdays. That's a lot of the gratefulness. It's like it has emerged and we fought and worked to make it this thing that we can really like continue to build our lives around. Yeah, I'll kind of start at the end there to answer Domati's question and kind of circle back around to what what Tiff was offering. But to the notion of like it existing in perpetuity, I think I had a willingness to do it long term, but I didn't expect it to be sustaining. Not like we're balling out or anything, but like, you know, it it is now an entity that, that exists and like, you know, we're we're starting to figure out our lives out of it. And the truth is, you know, we we it's a 
conversation space that's rooted in anti-capitalism and rooted in like changing relationships to money and to the corporations that like fund a lot of media. So not not only are we like trying to be the antithesis, we like actively criticize the type of spaces that could make it like, you know, lucrative in the in the short term. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, with that, I didn't expect there to be like space for investment or for other entities to like want to partner in a way that can make it more sustainable. Uh, but I did have like a long term commitment to it because the, you know, the, the grounding of the project wasn't even really about building a contemporary audience. It was kind of twofold for, for me. We could kind of talk about some of the goals and contributions that, that we like set out when we when we first met in this kind of like mythical lunch that we had. Um, or we mythologize it. It wasn't mythical. It was just a very good lunch. <laughs> it was lunch. just lunch. It was just yeah, lunch. No, we were at 90 Miles Cuban Cafe. I don't know. Oh, hell yeah. Um, I believe I had the ropa vieja. I'm not sure what Damon had. Yes, <laughs> and that is delicious. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I've been there more than twice, but there were two really bad experiences. I think I had some fish that I either really did like, or like some like shrimp empanadas that didn't hit. Mm. And the way my, my meal didn't match what came out of the meal. <laughs> 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 but we we had two goals. Uh, one, you know, was directly to like connect to the community we, we're we're documenting and archiving. So you know, in a real like all of these faces right here, like y'all are people that. I know or might have known or, you know, been in the same little Instagram algorithms as, uh, but it was really, you know, having at least that 60 minutes of conversation and like, you know, whatever we did pre and after where, you know, folks give us access to their lives, their experiences, and you're able to affirm folks. It really was like my my central anecdote to feelings of like alienation and self-isolation that I think is easy to like fall into. Like the fact that every week I got to be talking to somebody and I'd be figuring out who we're talking to and like, are we comprehensively, you know, giving a glimpse at what this space is? So, so that's definitely one thing, but then, you know, back to just like the doing it together, I have a real thing about like letting people down. And so the fact that like, you know, Daniel reached out to me and affirmed what I bring to the table and like my life experiences. And then we created this concept based off, you know, our mutual passions and the energy that was already present and what he was initiating. Uh, and so really not wanting to, you know, let him down. Also, I think it, it was really important that we were on a, a radio station. And so, you know, if you're not there at 12, the person that has to leave is trying to figure it out, like the door locks. It's like this, you know, for some y'all that came to WHBK, like it's a whole thing getting up in there. And so if, you know, I'm coming from Sauk Village and just like that feeling of like, I'm getting off on Garfield and it's 11.52 and I'm finna have to find somewhere to park on 57th Street. Like, oh damn, like that kind of tension, <laughs> I don't know, just like kept me going of, you know, I- I've committed to something, I want to be here. But then I'll end with this, the the, the second contribution or goal in addition to like just connecting the community that like kind of informally exists, trying to give it some infrastructure is this is intentionally an archive project and it is in conversation with our historical lineages and wants to be a resource for future generations. So like the the, the first thing, Daniel, like, like, Hey, what, you know, what do you want? It's like, yo, I'm really, this is 2015, like, you know, Black Lives Matter, Ferguson, all that is like within a year time. And so it's like, we are building the black power movement all over again. Right. And Fred Hampton as somebody from Chicago is like this iconic figure in my consciousness. And so I used to just be the YouTube 
you know used to troll well not, yeah <laughs> but even then it was it was more intentional um mm. and so i would just scour the internet for any fred hampton footage or audio and when you when you really slice it together there's not really more than 60 minutes of his voice that exists there's like all of these short clips and it probably comes to like 40 minutes of runtime and that feels like a historical tragedy and being in a relationship with Paige May and Charlene Carruthers and Jamila Woods and Tasha and y'all, right? Like my, my commitment was like somebody who wants to know what was happening 30, 40 years from now will have at least an hour of access to, to their humanity. You know, prisons aren't going to fall tomorrow, right? We, you know, we, we're not going to be able to produce art in the ways that we need to cooperatively in the next two years. So the, the project that this is documenting is a multi-generational, multi-lifetime project. And so it's really kind of designed to keep going as long as we can, as long as it can fit in our lives. And so there was some of that long horizon from kind from of the jump. beginning. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's that's daunting as hell. Like, I want to redo my episode. <laughs> like, it's going to be that <laughs> Yeah, do we, we get can do another one? <laughs> Well, you just got you just gotta you just gotta get back on there again. Yeah, Tanika Tanika is like top five of repeat guests at this point. She knows that game, but that's also part of what's built into the format is that it's not the like, um, you know, comprehensive history of the person. It's capturing them mm-hmm. in that moment, and it's less yeah, about like each individual and more about the the movement and the like ecosystem that we're trying to document. So you know, it's not Domati forever. It's Domati in 2018, and that's what you were thinking about then, and. Um, that doesn't necessarily give everyone the relief of having heard what they sounded like back then, but it it is like, it takes some of that pressure off of like, this is this representation of all the parts of you. It's like, no, this is who you were on that day for that hour. It's how we try to think about it. Yeah. But you know, when we finished and you would ask me some provocative things right at the end in episode 205. And I thought about it ever since. And I talked to you a couple of weeks later and you said, Oh, we'll get you back on. Dude, you're up to 301. And I'm still not, I have answers to those last three questions. Although it slipped away. But 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 what, what y'all look kind of talking about a joking towards is also part of the and I'll I'll let y'all jump back in, but part of the model of it's also like a, a time capsule for the people themselves, right? So Bill, for you to be able to go back and be able to reflect on those questions. But, you know, Domati, like, you've kind of glowed the fuck up since then, right? And so, like, for you as yourself to be able to listen back of, like, oh, this was when I had to, you know, rush to be at 6 a.m. a.m. radio, you know, and, like, the things you were thinking through at work, but, like, now from your your space now to be able yourself to listen and kind of have this, like, personal diary moment of where you were in 2018 is part of what we were trying to offer. Or, or for Tiff at the tribe, the same thing of like, you know, to talk to someone at the beginning of an endeavor like that, and then five years later, be able to hear how it's evolved and see the growth. Like, that's part of the gift. My episode, I was in a severe, like, struggle period. So <laughs> the most memorable thing I remember is I, I, I somehow knew the track list of the Bodyguard soundtrack from like down. <laughs> And y'all and like so in, that must be in the <laughs> archive. That has to be in the archive, you know? I appreciate that because the rest of the episode was me struggling. So I'm like, that was joy part of it. And that's okay too. <laughs> but it was a beautiful struggle though. Like, yeah, was, I think I remember your social media post about the bodyguard soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> the game was getting me through. It was getting me through. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I have a question to um, Damon's point about partnership. You know, I want to know if you all can speak to what it has taken to 
evolve this together? Like what space have you all had to allow for each other in order for this to be sustained successfully? Like, you know, it it is a relationship. It's a partnership. And we all know that, you know, (laughs) there are things that, that should and has to be done in order for anything two people or a group of people are working on together to grow. Like, can you all speak to what you all have had to do for each other or the space that you all had to provide for each other in order to make that happen? I want Daniel to answer this just with the like context of like, he has supported me in some like unimaginable, like kind of, well, not unspeak, we're going to speak about it, but like hard to put in (laughs) words, ways. Uh, So, you know, Eddie's like had to put up with my shit, I think more than in the reverse. So I'm a, I'm a throw to to him and I want to hear, hear what he has to say. Yeah. What's the shit you had to put up with? (laughs) Give tips on how to do it. (laughs) So there's, there's a lot of that. I mean, there was a lot of frustrated moments that Dame, I don't, I didn't talk to you about of like, having an expectation of something happening by a certain time or response or information that like as someone who internalizes when things happen, I internalize it as because of me. And so there was a lot of one, just like frustration that things weren't happening at the pace or in the way that I was hoping, cause I wasn't getting something from Damon in time. Um, but then also this like internalization of that on myself of like, what am I doing wrong in this? And that was really challenging. I think there are like a couple things that changed in that. So one was feeling like, all right, well, if you're going to keep doing this, Daniel, (laughs) you have to figure out a way to change your expectations because to have an expectation that isn't being met over and over again is a recipe for like frustration, burnout, uh, resentment, especially if I'm not going to communicate about it. And that's another thing that I don't do very well is like when I'm frustrated out of fear of like, being perceived as on the attack like I don't always communicate that frustration I like talk about it with my partner or in therapy and then just like no it's all good and I move from there um so that was one was like figuring out how to communicate it change my expectations and then move to the kind of this position of care of like you know I can at this point pretty much tell how Damon's doing in his life by how soon he responds to my texts The math went from like, oh no, I did something wrong to I wonder how he's doing. And also I think over time, and Dame, you can speak to this, but you built like a, like even in times where other people weren't getting responses, like there was a recognition that we had to stay connected, even as, you know, each of us were withdrawing in different moments. You know, I I don't want to get into all, you know, I don't want to go too far, but you know, there were moments where like, Rather than being like, oh, this is annoying that I haven't gotten the response to this question. It was like, oh, no, maybe I need to go check on him because I haven't gotten a response to this question. And that came with getting to know each other better. Um, That's beautiful. It is. Thank you for sharing. It's really important to learn that with your partner in in work, in life, in whatever. So thank you for sharing that. No, Tanika, I love the way you raised the question because, you know, when Damon and Daniel answered, it really did sound like an intimate relationship, right? It sounded like this kind of, it sounded like a love relationship, which it is in a way, and we don't have to run away from that. But I think that what was, where Damon began this morning was with contradiction and trying to hold on to and honor contradiction. 
And one of the things I hear you saying now, and it's, it's absolutely beautiful to listen to you talk about this, but when you listen to the podcast, you see seriousness and fun coexisting. It's not just all earnest. It's really, you're having fun together. And I think that's a lesson about a relationship too. My life partner I've been with for 52 years. So I got a context on this. I've got a perspective on this, but I think that if you're not having fun, if you're not enjoying life at the same time, that you're wrestling with some of these difficulties and holding that contradiction, keeping it alive and what you describe, and you can hear it come through in the, in the pod, you can hear uh, a kind of collaboration. That's why I started with that. You can hear earnestness and fun. You can hear seriousness and lightness, all of it happening at the same time. I think that's a beautiful thing. Beautiful accomplishment. Well, 52 years. Where's your podcast? You know, <laughs> yeah. These guys, these guys have 301 episodes. I, w- I yeah. will say to that point. So we worked with Bill to develop his show under the tree, which is excellent. That's a, a plug in there. But we, we did the like um, consulting sessions at his, at his apartment and his wonderful um, partner Bernadine was sitting on the couch and Bill would say something and she would just be like, really? Like she was just like <laughs> editing and or like, no, that's not, I don't think that's quite or, right, Bill. <laughs> or, or, or we would be like, you know, coaching on like, and then here are some tools for active listening and she'll just be from the couch like, say it again. Damon, <laughs> 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 yeah. well, I would love yeah, for you I'll jump in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there's a specific star relationship. So I think there's some like counterbalance of like what I held, but, but I think I really want to honor um, that care or that, that shift that, that Daniel's talking about. And it was certainly felt because um, I try not to be like self-deprecating, but also like transparent of, you know, there, there was a, there was a time where like this show and like a weekly therapy session were like the only things I could like functionally get done in a week. And so, you know, it's a, it's a real struggle because one of the jokes of my life is that like, I fell into organizing, but I'm not an organizer or an organized person. And so like (laughs) documentation, uh, scheduling, correspondence specifically, is not just like a thing that like, oh, I'm bad at, right? Like it, 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 it debilitates me. It, it fractures relationship. Like I, I get, I could get like physically sick from it in ways that are like hard Mm. to name and also really embarrassing because you know, documentation, correspondence, and time scheduling is what organizing is, right? And so, like, to not be able to do the essential things and, like, it feeling like I'm always failing or, like, I uh, I told this to Asha Ransby Sporn, like, she seems like a, a fish swimming in water, and I feel like an amphibian holding my breath, and, like, I need to come up for air a lot of times. And so, in relationship to to the show, even, like, being able to promote it after probably like the first two years of just like social space, being on on social media, trying to like figure out the copy of like how I'm going to recap. And then like how many, like it it became like untenable. And then like, I think, you know, not, I think I know that some of my social media was like really helping us start and it affected the show, but there, there was this shift probably when I was at my lowest point where Daniel drove, were you still in Humboldt? Mm-hmm. At that time, I think it was, was twenty sixteen in, in Logan at the time. It was before I had to be like public about it. It got to a point where I had to like do like a social media thing, but like I hadn't even like spoken to my family in a like ten to twelve. Like people, it was like a a, a wellness concern. Uh, and, and this just, was like, about drove. six months after Freedom Square ended. Yeah, so we were all yeah. kind of in that post Freedom Square challenge and struggle. 
and he just came and like kind of sat on the couch for like 30 minutes and just like, you know, are, 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 are you okay? Uh, I you know, I think the essence of that is, is, is stated. And so then throughout, um, yeah, just this feeling of, of holding and acceptance. And it, it became to the thing of like Jennifer, my dad and Daniel kind of like break the anxiety bubble of correspondence like you know because of this work and because of the ways that he shows up because i don't feel like a failure and like the you know my humanity and contribution is always accepted and appreciated and i think you know even the way he named it like maybe internalizing or processing on his own i hope it wasn't too bad for him but like it was felt or shown like i knew you know these things were happening i knew it was like hey we want to like build this mailing list let's look through our contacts and like create this thing and like i'm sitting there and like i can't say it but like i'm having the the physiological response of like a breakdown or a panic attack and like don't know how to admit it to him and like those happening a few times and like him kind of coming back and like just like working <laughs> with with where I'm at and so it has meant a lot I think also the fact that our show is in the context of like radical community relationship it informs and we're talking to people about care and conflict and all it, it it has built lessons and informs how we treat each other and then on the flip side he was just a little uptight kind of you know as as, as an 18 19 year old but always kind of like well-placed uptightness like uptight <laughs> about the things that should go a certain type of way or things that he can generally control and so it went from like let me give him the space to like hey it's it's okay buddy like the audio quality is fine like okay there you know there might be a Help a, him loosen up a little a, bit. A, a loose do noggle fuzzy, quack, you know, cuezoid. I'm trying to make up, fake, <laughs> make like, up audio terms. Audio terms. That's like in there. But the but moment like, you know, of that, good. <laughs> we did this. Uh, we did this live show at the Silver Room. We we did two of them within the first year of the show, and we had these, you know, very grandiose visions that there's like a pop up art gallery and 20 performers, and it's a fundraiser, and there's food, and it's like an hour before the show. And I'm like, you know, in production mode. And I asked Damon to go get, or ask is maybe polite. I I request that Damon go buy some like nails from a hardware store so that we can nail. And did you go or did you just go? No. I went I to like remember. four places. No, like I went to, like for some reason, Hyde Park just doesn't sell nails. Like I went to that dollar store they had. I went to that whack ass CVS. I don't think the Target was open yet or maybe they were closed by the time. Mm-hmm. Um but I went to like three or four stores. I asked if they had nails. I came back I'm like, hey man, like there ain't no nails. Like I think you have to pick something. <laughs> and then they, they like ended up like having nails. Like by the time and I, I just got back, to come to terms like, with that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm trying to like prepare these jokes. Like I, you know, let's <laughs> let's just take a breath and like eat this little piece of chicken I have, so I don't pass out. And, like, but it, it was because out. I was kind whiskey. of trying to serve these these dual roles you know because in the rest of my work I was doing live event production and so like trying to get that side of my brain to work for us for what we're trying to build and it's you know it's also within the first couple years of me being in the city so in many ways like I'm still trying to establish like validity as someone who can make something at least in my mind I don't know if anybody else was paying attention to that um there's just so much pressure that I put on myself and that I think we both put on the show or I'll speak for me that I put on the show that like as we've done it more and I feel like I have less to prove has just like fallen off my shoulders. Mm-hmm. 
And I'll conclude with this and let somebody see. If we also talk something. way too much as you. I got questions. <laughs> yeah. I got questions. Yeah, all right. All right. And <laughs> just want to just want to affirm this of in this dynamic that we're talking about, you know, I've done a lot of accountability work since we started doing this show. A lot of stuff off mic that is like. Heavy. Um, and I want to affirm that, like, Daniel has shown up with accountability at kind of like my highest understanding of the concept. Usually we limit our notions of understanding. Our best expectations is someone does something bad, harmful, or fucked up, and then like acknowledges it honestly. It's like, oh, okay, well, we don't feel better, but like at least we got that far. And I think there is a a, a more balanced, proactive notion of accountability I would love for people to internalize of acknowledgement of impact comes as or before you do things, right? So being accountable is not like apologizing or or taking your licks after things go. Being accountable is showing up in a way that knows where your power lays, understands positional dynamics, how you relate to oppressive privileges and positionality um, and showing up also with like, how can you benefit, right? Like uh, a lesson I, I learned one time, I was the co-chair of BYP 100 and somebody was like mad at everybody and mad at all the leadership. And I had just got there and like, I was the homie. And like, I was like, you know, I'm the, I'm the one that advocates for you. And like, they wanted something, they felt uncared for. And like, I was one of the people that didn't do the thing. So it wasn't that I was harmful. It wasn't that they disagreed with me or didn't care. It was like in your power, you could have helped me, you know, and there is impact the fact that you didn't. And so there's a danger to that because you can't like do or be everything. But I use that as an example to like Daniel understands his power and capacity and his privilege and shows up in a way that like acknowledges that. And then is not just accountable in the deficit sense. It is a, a proactive, uh, you know, a surplus based accountability that's proactive that, that I really appreciate. All right, Lior. That's beautiful. First of all, thank you. That's really beautiful because that's stuff that I'm thinking about a lot now. I am the secretary for the Reader's Union and we are going through some shit right now. So that's oh, very oof. helpful. Yeah. Uh, which we could talk about another time. I don't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, should do a, we should do a special. <laughs> we should have you back. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, you know, um, how easy uh, lead, leading up to the question, I mean, when I when I came on the show, I think it was like episode in the 70s. And I just remember like, we got to the end. I was like, I'm not ready to leave. I like talking with these guys. And and I think your ability to build community just by being like so fun to hang with is so crucial. Um, like it's it was just like these guys are great. Like why 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 am I just hanging out with them now? You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, uh, and and the care that you have for one another is it it's shown through to me then. Uh, and the fact that you are building something where you are looking at the community outside of yourself is so fascinating, which leads me to my question, which is how is your sense of community here in Chicago, especially as you were building this friendship and, and loving relationship with each other? How has your sense of community expanded? Go, go first, Daniel. I got a process. <laughs> so somewhat ironically, it's gotten much smaller. <laughs> um, Interesting. So, you know, as someone who came into the city as a transplant and trying to build all these relationships, my pathway from meeting someone to referring to them as my friend was like incredibly short. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, my friend, this especially if it was someone with with some like value or clout or position that I was admiring or wanted to be around. Like I was very, very quick to claim being in community with someone. Um, you know, to a fault sometimes. And I think what ended up happening, I guess, 
two years into the show was that because of circumstances that didn't really have anything to do with Ergo, a lot of those relationships fell away. Some of the work that I was doing around YCA and that was how I'd ended up in the city and connected to people as often was the case went really sour over there. And I ended up in a position where people who I'd been referring to as friends because I knew them all of a sudden they weren't part of my life anymore and I wasn't part of theirs. And I had to kind of look around and figure out, Oh, there's this other thing that is required to be in community with someone. It's not just proximity. It's not just like being allowed to be there. There's this welcome, this invitation, this commitment. And so, you know, I have a much smaller group of people who I consider in that model with. I can be in relationship to a much wider group of people, but the types of relationships where I feel reciprocal are very few and far between, largely because I don't always feel comfortable asking for what I need in them. But there are people who have learned to navigate that and show up and like demand that of me. And so that's what I've learned is that there's a reciprocation in community and in those in friendship and in partnership that I kind of felt like at the beginning proximity could kind of just make up for of like, we know each other, so we're in community. And we saw a lot of those communities, both from our own experiences, but then also as documentarians, like break down because that reciprocation wasn't there. And when harm occurred, people didn't have the commitment to each other to account for it. And so I think seeing those shortcomings in the spaces that other people had built helps me really understand better the deep type of commitment that's actually required to be like, no, like we are connected and inseparable in this. Yeah, that that really aligns with what I'm feeling. I think I have a deeper respect for what community is. I think mm. starting off, there was this like relationship of one idealizing and projecting onto community. So like, again, to that thing of like, there was this historical thread. So like from day one, I'm already like, oh, we're all going to be together for the next 40 to 70 years. <laughs> you know, like we, <laughs> we are the new brigade. We're going to be at all of each other's, you know, retirement ceremonies or whatever. Um, and that, that it's easy or that what organically emerges is all that it is. Like just learning that community is much more than like running into each other at the promontory every two to three weeks, right? <laughs> or, you know, or, or at, at Trader Joe's or something. It's also um, harder when you don't go out to then count on that to be like, I think we both have stopped going to things even pre pandemic. So you can't be like, Oh, we run into each other all the time. It's like, I don't mm-hmm. see anyone ever. So, <laughs> but, but y'all have like a, a, a refreshing self-awareness. Uh, it sounds like doing parts of the podcast where, you know, like it's funny, this thing that radio does where you start to things that you don't know are present in your subconscious. When you got a freestyle and you have these impromptu radio shows, certain themes consistently pop up. And yeah. like even on VON, I really I'm, I talk about my dad a lot. <laughs> Damn, do I love my father? You know what I mean? <laughs> 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 and, and similarly, like I'm hearing kids talk about, like, oh, he's like, oh, I um I internalized how Damon was acting. And now because I realize I do that. Let me see if I can prioritize how he may be feeling in the space to see if I can show up for him. So in other spaces of community, people don't have that. Well, you actually go to therapy, but then you have this therapeutic thing. I don't know that we all have this thing that affords us an opportunity to become as self-aware as you guys are. So when you're in community with, you know, even uh, surface level friendships, there's a 
thing that you might require because that's how you show up. And it can be disorienting when people don't show up for you the way you intend to show up, you know, yeah. for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, you, you, you really expanded somewhat. I was thinking. So one of the things I just heard about, like, the processing on air. So one of the things we try to do is, like, make really comfortable, brave, courageous, safe, whatever, subversive space for people to be transparent and vulnerable. Um, and, you know, it feels like it's just three of us, but, you know, at first dozens and then hundreds and now, you know, thousands of people are going to hear this. Um, and so in order to do that, like, we then knew that we then had to bring more transparency and more vulnerability. And then you end up like doing that consistently. And so one, I think that, you know, to people who listen to people who check in, like there's this deeper reception of, of that type of like communal relationship. Cause people hear us talking about it, but then you're right. Like you then in- internally become accountable or aware or reflective of just how you're moving in the world. And so, you know, there was a, you know, also to like the promoting the show and like the correspondence and all of that, like just coming of age shit, you know, people that was high school, college age in every friend group that usually doesn't last, right? Like the fact that people who knew each other when they were 18 and 19 are talking, you know, in their late twenties, early thirties, all of that, like is actually pretty rare. And so, you know, there was a, a, a lot of disillusion meant with with community and like one you're right like seeing people not show up in the way that i've heard them name or felt like i projected upon them like i thought we all you know saw what snick and the move bombing like went through like we all know that we have to get on the other side of you know this internal fracturing and sometimes everybody's not committed to that in the same way or sometimes people don't you know are dealing with other things in their world where they can't show up in these like really idealistic ways. And so going through that feeling of also just like, like to Daniel saying, like some of the, the social roots that aren't about rippity raps and poems or, you know, policies and protests, just like some of the, the, the actual relationships. And a lot of times not directly related to us specifically, but you know, my chosen and actual families in this space too. So just all of the overlapping impacts that then come back home and then the way the way you internalize that and the way that that feels uh, on top of overexerting you know and, and having some like real burnout it was difficult of like oh i still am committed to documenting and helping to craft and shape this community but i don't it's not actually joyous in the ways that it was there there was a real time of that and kind of being on a more dialectic or like understanding the contradictions of that and like you know exactly. community has to be created um, and it's never going to be perfect. And also that those fracturings, you know, brought lessons. So I, I keep bringing up like all these notions of accountability and that didn't come from no damn book. Like that came from being in the room <laughs> from people with tweaking folks. And like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get tweaked on a lot. And so, um, you know, I think the last thing I think about community is, you know, I could kind of understand it like, theoretically, but there's this relationship to leadership that, one, I think people projected onto us, onto me, and then some that like I very willingly stepped into while at the same time like questioning it historically. Uh, but now like in practice, like really think of the leadership model as a fallacy. And it is built in, you know, this individualistic charisma that is not sustainable and is super like patriarchal in how we think of 
even if it's not a, a masculine body, just someone being at the top, somebody dominating or somebody being the, the elite ex- exceptional example that then we measure all other human beings to just like feeling how one that doesn't actually work and benefit the space. And usually we, we set a lot of those people up for failure and those spaces up for failure. Uh, but then it's really not good for the people. And so, especially in our context where it was being questioned and like, there were none of the perks of leadership. It wasn't like, you know, (laughs) it wasn't like, you know, people were, there there was none of the hero worship. It was just like a lot of grunt work uh, and and sacrifice. And so again, to the contradiction, like sacrifice is one of the most important revolutionary principles that I, I, I aim to uphold. But then at the other end, I have felt that my existence in some ways has become sacrificial and that is unhealthy or, or deteriorating. And so trying to like, you know, having some space from community in order to really love and nurture it and do this for the long haul has been a little bit of the move now. Like to Game's point, like we ain't all all really friends, even if we rock with each other. Like we gotta we gotta actually put in the work and build that. All right. Yeah, I mean, you're articulating a lot of the contradictions that are there, but I think it's really important to say when we say the word community, some people get an all fuzzy feeling and holding hands, singing kumbaya. It's not that. It's not that easy. But you're right. On the one hand, leadership becomes toxic, you know, male toxicity. But on the other hand, leaderlessness isn't so good either. How are we going to get the show up on Thursday? And one of the things I hear you balancing around with in contradiction is that in order to be free, there has to be discipline. Discipline and freedom actually go together. And, mm-hmm. and when we talk about relationships, I, I get tired when I hear people say, we're working on a relationship. I want to say, aren't you ever off the clock? Can't you just have fun? <laughs> and, 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 and I think there's something in that it, it, that comes through in the show that you guys, there's a sense that there's actual discipline and hard work and real reading and real thinking going on. But at the same time, we're having fun with it. We're not suffering through it. And I think keeping those contradictions alive is really important. One last pin I'd like to put in. I think it's really important that people understand that this stuff doesn't just happen. You guys might sound spontaneous and smart in the moment and so on. This is hard work. You don't write a book by thinking, gosh, I could write a book. It actually takes Trust me, the know. discipline of the guts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I've been telling people I've been writing a book for two years. Yeah, I know. And, and you know, one of the things I tell my students all the time is there is such a thing as the discipline of the desk. You have to chain yourself to the desk and actually get words on the page. The rest is just good intentions. But I, I think what I'm seeing and hearing today, but I've seen it throughout the, the podcast, is this sense of wrestling with, living with, enduring contradictions, not trying to resolve them or run away from them. Yeah. Anybody else want to want to jump in on that note? Yeah, no, I appreciate everything you all have spoken about in regards to community because I've definitely had to learn and um, accept the fact that uh, we all need to expand how we define and think of community. And I don't have to hang out or be, quote unquote, in community with people to show up and fight for them. That's what I've had to accept <laughs> for myself. Like, no, I'm I'm in a different kind of community with you, but I don't have to like be with y'all all the time to to fight for you, to fight for us, to, you know, advocate. Um, but I do want to know just, you know, a little bit more, not, I won't even say lighthearted, but I'm just curious. You all are two individuals who are with each other working, you know, enjoying what you do. Like, 
what's your favorite thing about each other? <laughs> I like that question. I like yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, what a <laughs> man! I I have I, I felt em, embarrassed about saying it, and like also like it might be problematic. But I've been like trying to tell Daniel like recently. There's just been a few times where it's like, man, I just wish everybody acted and thought like you. Like the world would be so much easier for me and if like versa, all yeah. everybody was like their version of themselves, but just like kind of that computer processing chip on the inside so i think there's a lot of like the deep level you know i get back into like the multi-syllable words to like explain it but there's just this bizarro alignment of interest and also alignment of like what is whack that is the magic of of our relationship like some of it has co-developed but coming into it you know the fact that this you know white Jewish boy from New York, like we, the fact that I could talk to somebody who both understands Paulo Freire and gets a Bruce Bruce reference, like the like, <laughs> the, the love that Daniel has for like post-Def Jam 90s and 2000s black comedy is so rare. And like for folks who don't know, or like, like my dad is, a, is weird. <laughs> my dad's a stand-up comedian and like, you know, when I was growing up, it was it was on TV in a different way that like the world understood it. But like in the last 15 to 20 years, the black stand up space that kind of nurtured me is like kind of done like a K shape. So like a lot of people have gotten really famous and gone mainstream and like the middle space isn't documented in the same way. So the fact that there's somebody like cares about Saba's rhyme scheme or, you know, can break down a Kendrick song with me. We could talk about Grace Lee Boggs and Prilo Ferry. And then, you know, knows who Arnez J is when I like <laughs> want to like make a disparaging joke is <laughs> really unique. And I don't know how I found this person, or how this person found me. But but I think that is like at the at the core of it. You want to jump in there? <laughs> well, so I have a couple of thoughts, but one of them is this like, yeah, that wild alignment. Yeah, like I was interested in all these very specific things, you know, that being one example, but there's just like a a wide array of bizarre specific things that my whole life I've been like fixated on. Like minor league baseball, (laughs) stand-up comedy from that era, fucking liberation movement, tap dancing when I was three and teaching myself to tap dance off of like Gene Kelly movies. Like just like these... (laughs) I, I've always been this like I find a thing that I'm interested in and I dig super, super deep on it. And Damon mentioned it earlier, like when we were in school together, he's having this relationship to like feeling left out of what's happening back home. For me, it wasn't my space. And I became like fixated on what was happening in Chicago in the music scene in a way that was like not always healthy, but it was this like escape <laughs> from some of the challenges that I was feeling in the isolation of being in the middle of the cornfields and being in this space and honestly, like not having a lot of people that shared the things that I was passionate about. And like, I tried to mold myself a little bit at the beginning to fit. And like, you know, there's like one photo of me in a cowboy hat. And then I was like, fuck this. Like, I'm not doing this. And, and so I, I think like to have those fixations align and then also have them feed each other. So like, there are so many things that we just came in that are not like surface level similarities, but we came in with a passion for. And then to have spent the last, you know, almost seven years, like 
basically just egging each other on <laughs> in everything, there is this like, go further, that's funny, go farther and farther into it that I think I really appreciate. And it's not something that I feel from a lot of, even other people who I really love, like, yeah, I really struggle with this feeling of like wishing more people were curious about my thoughts. And part of why I became an interviewer was because, you know, one, I was curious what other people were thinking, but I was kind of hoping they'd ask me back um, without <laughs> so me having to ask here. for it. Now, thank you for exactly. being here. We finally, like, I finally asked. Um, but, but that's one thing I really appreciate is Damon's always been someone who's been curious what I'm thinking and what's going on in my head uh, and vice versa. And like, there's like an intellectualism to that, but there's also just like a, like an ICU type of thing in that, that I really appreciate. Um, Smart dude that doesn't take himself too seriously. Mm. Yeah. And we're both, yeah, we're both like in on the absurdity of it all. And then another thing that I do very often that Damon jokes about is like, he'll just say something offhand and I'll like remember it forever. And it'll be, (laughs) it'll become like a maxim. But there was this this one, I think it was like summer 2019 maybe, and we were at Breathing Room and I just like watched him talk to someone who was like bugging out about something. I don't even remember what it was, but she was just like going and I just watched him like keep his cool. It wasn't directed at him. It was just like about something happening in the space and I just watched him like let her get it out, vent, figure out what needs to happen, recognize her humanity. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. Like to be able to hear that, take that on, but not internalize the panic of it or the pain of it. You said this thing that was, uh, it's a three-parter. Be cool. I don't care, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) They need to be on shirts. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I can can break it down a little bit. No, no, that's it right there. Cool. I don't care. But okay, but okay, we're, you we're know? still gonna try to figure it out. I'm still here. I'm still gonna do it. But like, yeah. I'm not gonna get in this with you. Um, yeah. So yeah, I just I love that one. Uh, the other one, it goes to our conversation about community. Was uh, you can tweak all you want, just don't tweak on me. Like, <laughs> like you can tweak with me, next to me, even about me sometimes, but just not on me. Yeah. I, those are two like that I've really carried with me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even That's know good. I don't even know how to ask this but I'm curious you know considering you know mm-hmm. the the theme and and what um you know you all consistently talk about with inequities race and poly, all of those things liberation like has has race you know given who you all are what you all the public facing of what you all represent like has that showed up in any weird ways? Has race, the, the the makeup of you two approaching and talking about these issues has, together, has that showed up in any weird ways? Or have people responded to that in any ways that maybe you all expected, didn't expect, or just were like, oh, okay, you know? Black guy, white guy talking about liberation and equity. Like, has that, like, thrown people off? Or, like, I'm just curious. I don't even know how to ask No, it's a great question. (laughs) I think, well, so one, in terms of who feels comfortable listening to the show, I think there is some piece of my presence that makes that comfortable for white listeners. Um, I think we had this shift at some point of, like, 
as our listenership grew, especially out of Uprising and recognizing that at least based off Instagram, like way more people who were white were listening, that like that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It meant that we should just shift the work that we do. Or at least I thought about that in my interview style of like, all right, here's this thing that I've been like saying is important, but haven't always taken on because it's daunting of like, you know, the proverbial like you know, talk to your uncle at Thanksgiving, move white people's position. And I, you know, not that I was resistant to the value or importance of that, but like that wasn't what I prioritized in the first five years of my professional and movement life for many reasons, some of which were like my own discomfort with that position. And a lot of it also had to do with like the people who I actually had relationship to, like, yes, there were ways to move them and shift them, but they weren't in opposition to me. Like, there are so many white people involved in movement whose parents, like, they're in rebellion with and being in opposition by holding these values. And that actually isn't my experience. Like, I did, like what I'm going to, like, try to get my parents who are already, like, <laughs> lefties to be more lefty. Like, yes, there's value in that. Yeah. And I spent a <laughs> lot of time trying to do that. And then it just, after three or four years, they're like, Daniel, we know. <laughs> like, they're like we woke, okay? We woke already. We raised you. We they, you know, they all have their limitations and all that. But I think there was this feeling of like, and some of it also has to do with white Jewishness of like, if I went into rural Michigan because I felt it was my responsibility to go move the political position of white people, I guess there's value I can bring there. But also, those people have very little in common with me in some ways. Like their lived experience isn't mine. And in some ways, I think when I was more hands-on doing organizing stuff with Let Us Breathe and other spit, like on some level, I resented that implication that like I would understand them and they would understand me. Like they don't know anything about me. And so <laughs> that's that's one piece. And I like, think I don't even understand now. <laughs> right? and, and it's very it's very strange to be the Jewish guy in a room of white people who know people are like, you're <laughs> Jewish. <laughs> what? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then figuring out how do I not value my, if, if where my position or my value is, is in that relationship, what does that require in terms of me shrinking that piece of myself or, or, you know, passing as Christian or any of those types of like passing, obviously a loaded word, but you know, it's used in Jewish spaces also of like, if I don't tell people that there isn't this assumption, but I don't share that experience. And there's this isolation of that that I'm not equating to anything, but is very real. Um, real quick, I, I don't want you to lose your train of thought. I want you to pick up. This is one interesting thing, too. I think some of that is like, you being from New York is mad interesting because the segregated nature of Chicago, mm -hmm. you don't realize how nuanced white folks are, too. We always talk about black folks not being the monolith. But, you know, my, my blind spot was, Man, you know, if I see my white homie, go talk to your people. Those aren't my people. Like, you know what, I mean? <laughs> I didn't know what that means to look like. Because in Chicago, even my, my cool white homies, like, you know, guys I met at WGN that were, were really my friends. If I got too close to them for too long, they would do something to show mm -hmm. me that there is, they would F it up somehow. You know what I mean? So, like, <laughs> yeah. they would offend me. Or sometimes they would be naive about, like, I had a homie who lived in Bridgeport. I went to the soccer game with him. And he was like, no, no, my homies are cool. They were not cool. Like, they were <laughs> 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 Red flag. Red flag. Oh, that's, so, that's so funny. 
<laughs> this awareness that you have, like, it's like, nah, you know, there's this nuance, there's this way I show up in these spaces where these people from rural Michigan, I don't, I don't get them. You know what I mean? And, but, but I do have, you know, just by proximity, by how I present to the world, okay, they might be, they might listen to me. So what do I do with that? Just refreshing to hear you say, yeah. and it's refreshing to see this friendship manifest in a way that I haven't had the benefit of experiencing with some of my closest white homies, you know? Yeah. And again, it's not that I like have that figured out or that that abdicates me of the responsibility of trying to reach them. That's why I brought it up was in the responsibility of seeing our listenership grow, you know, with white listeners, shifting my question asking, shifting how I thought about my position and recognizing the value of being someone who could like not just (laughs) quote like Basically, I saw I've seen a lot of white people in similar positions, like take on this like interpreter role, basically. Right. And I think that's fucked up and like it leads to them becoming gatekeepers at times. But it also like puts them in this position where they've made themselves necessary in order to be a conduit for people to connect. And I don't think I'm necessary but I do think that I can I can contribute something. Yeah, I don't want to be necessary in order for these ideas to be heard. So I think that that's a couple of the pieces uh, for me. Yeah, I'll, I'll, there's more, but I'll leave it at that. Dane, what do you what do you think? I'm first struggling to like the what I hear directly in the question of like basically has anybody been skeptical of us facilitating these conversations relative to our position? And, and I can't think outwardly, or at least that I was aware of. Maybe somebody sighed at us while we were giggling <laughs> the lighthouse, yeah. and we were and we were paying attention because we were breaking down Having the etymology fun, of some yeah. word <laughs> talking about rsj um but but to like what's coming out of that answer and what i heard doma t just say of yeah i, I do think there's a a, a a big difference whiteness is not a monolith and like i knew that sociologically but through my relationship with daniel like i actually understand it and so you know the white jewishness but from the Bronx is very different from, again, like somebody from Bridgeport or Winneka. Like I haven't had those relationships either, <laughs> to be honest. Like, you know, I've seen cool people or folks from spaces, but like, you know, this type of intimacy, I think, is partly informed by that New York landscape and the way that Daniel grew up and the like the multiplicity of communities that he was in relation. But I don't want to like, talk too much about his whole life story. Uh, <laughs> uh, but th- th- there was a lot of wrestling that we did internally um, and a lot of learning and processing. I think, you know, particularly we're bringing up the Jewishness and like, this is really a, you got to leave. Okay. Bye, Tiff. Thank you, Tiff, so much for being a part of this. No, no, go ahead. Jump in there. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good to see you. We'll get back to our front racial. Nice to meet you. (laughs) (laughs) My nephews live down here. I got one of them out of school today. So I'm like, I promised them that we're going to hang out. It's so sweet. Um, Thank you so much. I'm so proud of y'all. I I love everything that you all are accomplishing. And if anything, anytime, hit me up, let me know. You know, I'm a phone call, text away. That goes for everybody on here, too. Like, you know, community with everybody. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Showing up in some great ways, Tiff. and, And we look forward to like, more collaborations to come. Good to see you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Nico, we need to get drinks or something too. So yeah. Oh, yeah. yes, 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 yes. <laughs> All right, I'll see All y'all. Right. Enjoy the sunshine. Talk to you soon. Take care. <laughs> but we had a lot of conversations that kind of like two things emerged for me. One, this is kind of joking, like Daniel has pointed out what Chicago white 
are to me. Like, I didn't really understand Midwestern and Chicago whiteness, even though, like, you know, I, I grew, I had access to it. It wasn't like I, you know, I had a lot of experience, but but I didn't really get it. Uh, but more deeply, um, I was able to learn a lot, especially as, like, you know, every six to nine months, there becomes this, like, very superficial, fraught, like, Black nationalist versus Jewish conversation, usually, like, at the Farrakhan nexus. And then even one time, like, I w- there, like the first time I, w- I was invited to, like, Farrakhan's house and, like, the last 45 minutes, you know, he kind of got into his bag a little like, bit. Like, I'm with you, I'm uh, with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. I don't know if I'm with you. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> right, yeah. And even if you're saying interesting things and then inappropriate things, at the next of that, it's like, you are overly invested in this. Like, even if that history that you just told me is yeah. true, like, that's that's just too deep for for this chicken breast that, that you, <laughs> that you offer us. Um, but it, it, it came to a place of, like, inquiry of, you know, I didn't understand the the expansive and resistance-centered history of Jewish lineage in its fullest extent. And as I was like, you know, in my, you know, to Bill's point, like doing all these readings, you start to see that like, you know, this nexus of anti-communism, anti-blackness, anti-Semitism, and homophobia was kind of the like center of American fascism of, you know, the clan, you know, and so there, there, there's a way you can name the way in which that used to be named as like the, the, the fear of white America. But then there's also this like counter narrative of that I learned through my relationship to Daniel that's artificial and like how black people understand this context of to us, a lot of times when you're saying Jew, you're just saying white. And like <laughs> what you're trying to say is like the whitest white people. And so like just hearing these, like they were ne- never even like really overtly ta- antagonistic, just these like generalizations about the Jews or just comparing ourselves to the Jews as this thing. And so I'll be like, yo, like, what's up with that? <laughs> and just like the history of of liberation movements. And then as like Black liberation has has been allied, supported, and also in, in, in ways opposed by this contradictory, you know, diaspora, it really taught me a lot. And then I, I think I'll end with, this might be kind of weird, but like, in being with Daniel, it also like had to make me build up my own accountability muscles, right? Because like, I can't think of another way to say it. One of my least favorite cliches is the the invited to the cookout thing. Like, I actually hate with that trope and what people say it. But the essence of what that is, like, you know, in many ways, I have invited Daniel to the cookout, or you know, I used to joke of like he's my plus one. <laughs> and in that, right, like, I have to account for like we are showing up as an entity. And so, a thing I've said as a way to address cishet patriarchy, which is in some ways a provocation and in some ways not true, but I think in more ways it is true. Like I, I say that black men are the white people of the black community, in, in least in terms of harm, power, positionality in a lot of ways. Um, and so the expectation I have of accountability of white people informs some of the way in which I try to show up in my own community. And so like an adage I've had is like, man, if a white person said blank to me, I would lose my fucking mind, right? And so that therefore, if I'm talking to, a, you know, a woman of femme body or a, a queer non-binary person, right? Like just, it's not the, uh, an exact parallel all the time, but just having that kind of processing in my mind and living it out is not abstract. Like I have to be a part of that accountability when we're talking to people and how we're showing up and how we're accounting for power. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of how I think about it. But, you know, 
we're fortunate to, you know, our, our mentor that we shared that's kind of at the basis of like our ideological relationship was a Black Panther from Detroit, right? So there, there was some like grounding and nurturing that is is uh, kindred that kind of like prepared us to be very intentional in, in, in that space explicitly. All right. I want to add one thing to that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Which is the lack of... Uh, resistance or the comfort that we build with each other i'm like growing more and more skeptical of our ability (laughs) to hold each other accountable in that way um Mm. and i think sometimes in you know relationships and partnerships that you know people have different racial backgrounds or different relationships to power for the person with the closer relationship to power there's this feeling of like well if this person as the representative of this group isn't checking me then it must be okay and so that's just something that I wonder and worry about and try to like stay on my toes about a little bit is like one, the comfort and relationship we have, but then also, you know, we both name the ways that we've been dependent on each other. And like, when you feel dependent on someone, maybe you're less likely to challenge them. I don't know. I think about that and it's, it's a, it's a low level discomfort um, of like, <laughs> Like what, what are if the Davis bullshit, right? Yeah, like or not bullshit necessarily, no but like what if there's a level here that like mm-hmm. there, there's nothing that says that the fact that we are in relationship means that we will both be upholding our values in that relationship, mm-hmm. um, and we have in many ways up to this point, but that's not a given. And so just continuing to be thoughtful about that. And what are the things that like we were just in California, for instance, doing a workshop and. I noticed in myself this like it's not a new thing but this feeling of like when we're in a very white space this urge to like intervene and like serve as a buffer not all the time but sometimes and being like I know that comes from a, a good place don't know if that's necessary or useful all the time and what is and but then not talking about it and just doing it and knowing that probably if there was a big problem Dave would maybe talk to me about it but maybe not and so instead just bringing it up and talk trying to talk to him about it rather than like waiting for the like this is okay this isn't okay guidelines to be established like that's not then that's not how we relate to each other once again this is actually good advice for any relationship any intimate friendship right i mean that push and pull is important but i want to go back just for a minute to this notion of Whiteness is not a monolith. I mean, one of the problems we have negotiating our lives is a big contradiction. And and it's that there are structures that make, yes, all white people don't represent white people, all black people don't represent black people. On the other hand, the structures exist so that all white people do benefit from something that's structurally in our country. And we can't run from that by saying, well, you know, this is a particular experience, Jewish, New York, whatever. It's also true. All white people benefit from white supremacy as a structure. So it's complicated. And what I try to keep in my own mind, and I think you guys are a beautiful example. I mean, I try to keep in my own mind that on the one hand, we have similarities that are structured in. But as soon as we find ourselves in a space, like, for example, women experience the world as women. But as soon as you get in a room of all women, all us women, (laughs) <laughs> you realize there's a thousand differences in the room. So you may face some contradictions as women, but not all contradictions, and they're not all the same. So I try to keep in my mind a fundamental contradiction, which is that each one of us is the one and only that will ever live, ever walk the earth. Damon Williams is the one and only 
Damon Williams, it will ever Except be. For the one Except for his me. dad. <laughs> and, and, and at the same time, at the same time, we are each one of the many. So we're, we're, we, we have the, the same experience. We are born, we suffer, we, we have joy, and we die. That's true for each of us. And you're absolutely unique and induplicable. And I think that what we see with power is we're always being defined by our statistical profiles. And we have to resist that. We cannot allow ourselves to be pinned to the board like a butterfly. I am more than my statistical profile. And as soon as we do that to other people, we should resist. Hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. In the interest of time, I want to think about moving toward the, but, you know, obviously we'll talk about ourselves forever. Um, other people have. <laughs> we don't want to take all of y'all's time. <laughs> that was the point of this session, though. I know, but you yeah, see my discomfort the, with it. Yeah. The Zoom room will stay open. So if y'all, if y'all come back I'm, here, I'm here, till, here, I'll be here till 1 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll just be sitting here basking. <laughs> yeah. Other stuff that y'all are curious about from us? I mean, I want to echo what's been said in the sense that I think that what you've accomplished is enormous. And I would like to put a uh, underline that people should recognize that it's, um, it doesn't, it's not automatic. It requires a certain amount of discipline and showing up and you've done that. And I think what we've just talked about is so moving about what a relationship can be. It's not just about a work relationship. It's about intimate friendships and how we can move in that direction. So I appreciate you both so much. I'm I'm really interested in hearing the partners episode coming up uh, because they're going to ask some questions that I wouldn't even know where to begin. Uh, and and part of what I love about this about your podcast is that you're able to relate to other people as people as individuals as as you know not butterflies pinned to a board. And so I can't wait to hear that from the people who know you so well. It's like the most nervous I've ever been for an Ergo episode, except. For <laughs> And I think it's refreshing, too, because, I mean, as Bill said, man, the skill of what it takes to hold space and conversation in this way, this transparent way, this way that resonates with multiple people is also affirming for people in movement spaces who don't always feel seen. I feel like, Damon, you've been on either side of that, you know, in a highly visible sense, you know, getting the adulation that comes with that, but then doing grunt work that people don't see that can feel thankless and Sometimes just being able to have a space where people value you and say, hey, come on our show and talk about what you do. It's like, wait, there's a thing that I do that's worth talking about. And so I think like the fact that you do that for folks, and you know, it's remarkable. And, it, and it, it's, a, it's an archival thing that even some of the biggest brands who are known for creating this archive for pop culture history have kind of strayed away from due to the transient nature of, you know, media and all other things that we could talk about whenever I come back. But, you know, the fact that you guys are, are in that in that tradition is is powerful, man. And I just, uh, you know, I'm a fan of y'all as people, as humans, but also as podcasters and, and media practitioners and peers. So, you know, just keep going, bro. For real. Well, you know, for our I listeners wanna... at home, Tanika just threw up a heart. I just added to the archive. <laughs> With like a, a heart-filled face. Um, <laughs> you know, let me let me say one other thing. It's Please. more, it is an archive, and that's critical. And it is a generative archive, and that's hugely important. But the other thing is we live in a country where the public square is disappearing and the public is being eclipsed by all kinds of things, capitalism, racism, you know sexism, all these things are eclipsing the public. And what you've done is open the public space. You're not just archiving something, you're actually creating a space where dialogue can happen. And I can't think of anything 
that we need more desperately now than dialogue in a public square where people can hear each other and bounce off each other, listen with the possibility of being changed, speak with the possibility of being heard, and you do that week in and week out. Mm. Wow. I love that point. That feels that that's that is about the deepest affirmation I could hear is the creation of of a of a commons, creation of a public. And we moved from in our even how we describe ourselves, like for the first you know, 200 so episodes, we were showcasing the people doing this work. And then we shifted our language to like, no, this show is, is doing that work of reshaping the city and beyond for the more liberatory and creative. Like we're not just talking about the people doing that. This is a project and experiment in doing that work too. Um, but it took a long time to feel the confidence that we could make that claim. You know, I also love that it's an invitation for anyone who wants to contribute to this work to pick it up and do it themselves because we don't have to rely on these other forces that aren't interested in whether or not we're heard and that anyone can, can do this work. It takes this kind of, it takes a significant amount of dedication and care. Um, but you guys have done it. This is incredible. You know, I, I also think it's worth pointing out that a public comes into being for a purpose. It's not just there. So when you see, on CNN, we did a poll. That's not the public. The public comes together for a purpose. And that's part of what you're generating. So, you know, we, we've all witnessed in our lifetime a movement for queer rights. That wasn't a public that existed, but it came into being because of the earnest efforts of a lot of really great people and ordinary people. So what you're doing is creating a public and the public is what we need to make a movement. We can't do it without creating a public with purpose. Yeah. Wow. I just, I want to just like express my gratitude and appreciation of y'all. I really am thankful and feel seen and heard in more direct ways than I think could have expected in what I see in this conversation. Like we, we have broken down media a lot as you know, y'all are our peers in media making, but the, the truth is the word media is just the plural of the word medium. A lot of times we talk about the medium itself, the platform. It's about the show. It's about the station. Uh, but really, medium means midpoint. And so it's a midpoint of interaction, of communication between a speaker and a listener. It's, a, it's really about a conversation and a relationship. And so, you know, you are all as artists, as facilitators, as educators, as, as transformative practitioners in your various medium, you know, we couldn't do this alone or we couldn't see ourselves as doing this if if it existed in a vacuum. Um, and so, you know, as we're trying to grow this work from like a project to an entity that can establish infrastructure for more media to be made, that's not just us hosting and producing it. Um, what I want to advocate more for more directly um, and what informed my participation in the show and my organizing is revolution, is change and transformation from which we can't return. And I think revolution really only takes people intentionally committing to their understanding and the lineages of what revolution is. It's not this big, you know, mystical thing that we make it into. And so I see a revolutionary interconnection of creators when, when I see this conversation right here. Um, and so I really appreciate y'all. I, I know that, you know, we've been running a little bit longer than we want. So thank y'all all for, for, you know, staying on and having this conversation and helping us process our relationship 
and our work and how we are trying to change the world. Because trust me, having this is like really feeding and is going to help us get another 100 or 200 more because we got to have at least all y'all on back our, once. Our, so that's at least our bookings are at least, <laughs> at least five. No, more. Th- thank you so much for <laughs> thank you for celebrating with thank us. Thank you. Thank you um, so much. And look forward to continuing to grow together and in, in community. Yeah, it was so great to to virtually meet you, Lior. And yeah, it was a pleasure. Uh, outside of the history <laughs> books and the Ergo podcasts. Uh, <laughs> I'm fanboying right now. So I appreciate uh, meeting all of you and, and really sending sending much love to Damon and to Daniel. Yeah, thank you to all of y'all and, and so much love to, to everyone we talked to. And, and Bill, I want to uh, shout you out and um, dedicate this conversation uh, to Malik as you have on, you know, your, your long live Malik t-shirt, Malik Aleem, uh, my brother and our, our, our peer and uh, uh, a devout media maker. And so just the conversation that we were having, you know, I, I think of him and his spirit as being a part of, of this ethic. Um, and so I just want to, you know, and seeing his face on your chest, it means a lot. And just want to continue to to honor him as we go forward. Every day. Every day. I say. I say. Thank you all so much. And we're gonna we're gonna continue celebrating over the couple next episodes here, uh, reshaping the culture of our city and world for the more liberatory and creative. Much love to the people. Peace. It's a celebration. It's a celebration. Oh, it's over.